Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. To the Three Down Nation podcast, I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today we're discussing Nathan Rourke's return to the football field. The upcoming division semifinals. Bo Levi Mitchell playing his last game at McMahon Stadium as a member of the Calgary Stampeders. This is Saskatchewan Rough Riders free agent list. And Canadian receiver Chase Claypool throwing an NFL touchdown pass. But first. The Rough Riders fired offensive coordinator Jason Moss on Tuesday, while offensive line coach Stephen Sorrells and receivers coach Travis Moore will not have their contracts Renew. Head coach Craig Dickinson and general manager Jeremy O'Day will both return in 2023. That's the last year of their current contracts. Do you think the Riders made the right call keeping Dickinson and O'Day in their respective positions? I'll, I'll say this. I, I am of the opinion that sometimes professional football teams do move on too quickly. Our own Joel Gasson wrote a column where I think he astutely pointed out that a lot of people in Winnipeg, we're clamoring for Mike O'Shea to get fired, right, early in that 2016 season. That was his third year at the helm. The team had a slow start. They missed the playoffs the two years before. And we all know what's happened since then. They made the playoffs in 16. They made the playoffs every year since. They won back-to-back Grey Cups, and they've got a really good shot of going back to a third straight Grey Cup this season. Uh, that being said, I don't think there are any excuses for what the Saskatchewan Rough Riders had happened to them through the last two-thirds of the season. Yes, they had a stomach flu. Yes, they had a COVID game. You know, Craig Dickinson pointed this out at a press conference uh, last week. Yes, we had some issues, some struggles. The Garrett Marino thing reared its ugly head. I would argue the Garrett Marino thing is totally self-inflicted. I think the Riders knew who Garrett Marino was coming into this season. They were too slow to act on that. I also think they were too slow to bench Cody Fajardo if they were going to do that at all. Uh, but I, I suppose my answer is it's okay as long as you're willing to live with the consequences because if Jeremy O'Day is going to double down on Craig Dickinson and Craig Reynolds is going to double down on Jeremy O'Day, they're going to come out smelling like roses if this thing works in 2023 and they're going to find themselves in the unemployment line if it doesn't. Yeah, and let's be frank. On, on Jason Moss, right? The results were not good enough. But my problem here with this decision is that if you give a guy poop to work with and he makes a poop pie, you can't complain about the taste, right? And the fact of the matter is, Kogi Fajardo was not a quarterback that was suited to the type of offense that Jason Moss runs, in my opinion. And he wasn't given an even functional offensive line to work with. Now you can argue that Moss should have done a better job adapting his offense to those weaknesses. And I think you've got a point there. The ball should have been out faster with that offensive line. And he went away from the run game too early when he knew that the passing offense wasn't always there. However, that doesn't change the fact that in a year where you had to go all out personnel-wise, in order to go and try and win a Grey Cup at home, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders just didn't have the pieces that they needed to win, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And that has to fall on someone much higher on the food chain than Jason Moss. And so, while I'm sympathetic 
to the idea of keeping coaches and GMs around for another year, giving them another chance. I don't think there are great parallels here right now to the situation in Winnipeg where you saw progress. It wasn't enough necessarily at the time, but you saw progress and you saw it building. This looks like an organization that has taken a big step back this season with Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day. It gets a lot harder to regain momentum once you've lost it than it is to slowly build and eventually take off like they did in Winnipeg. Jason Moss and Cody Fajardo are essentially going to be the fall guys for this current Rough Riders regime. And I do believe that Jeremy O'Day should have upgraded the offensive line last offseason because we all knew that it was an issue. Anybody, even if you've never really watched much football before, could have told you that Saskatchewan needed to be better up front. That didn't happen. And that, to me, was the key reason why that offense struggled for the majority of the season. There's certainly an argument to be made for Moss and Fajardo not fitting the style of offense, especially that Moss wanted to run. And then ultimately, if you want to look at that decision, well, Craig Dickinson let Stephen McAdoo walk and brought Moss in and trumpeted the signing or the addition of Moss to the coaching staff here. So we got to remember how some of these scenarios played out. O'Day should have been better in terms of upgrading the offensive line. And it was Dickinson not too long ago that was championing Moss as his offensive coordinator. So I understand that you want to create consistency and longevity in the coaching staff. And that's essentially what's going on here. O'Day is getting another chance and Dickinson as well. But we got to remember that these two guys had opportunities to make those roles better with the people that they chose to bring in, either at offensive line or offensive coordinator. Now, the next biggest hire is, of course, going to be filling that job of offensive coordinator. But if it plays out the way that it seems like it's going to, and Bo Levi Mitchell is going to go to Saskatchewan, you have to get him an offensive coordinator that he is familiar with and that he likes, to be quite honest. You can't try to pair what you did before Moss with Fajardo and expect that to work again. It needs to happen in tandem. That's why I think Mark Mueller is a leading candidate. But the difficulty there is you have O'Day and Dickinson, especially on expired contracts. So if you're an offensive coordinator out there looking at this Rough Riders job, let's say Mueller in this instance, are you going to be okay with signing a one-year deal? I think Mueller or some of the other potential candidates out there are going to be able to at least ask for a multi-year deal. Now you don't have people lined up, so it doesn't create that consistency that you would like to have. But I don't see O'Day or Dickinson getting extensions. I think they're going to go into the final year of their contract, much similar to the way that Mike O'Shea has with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But there is way, way, way more pressure, of course, on O'Day and Dickinson compared to O'Shea in the final year of his deal. If I remember correctly, the CFL operations cap allows you a quote-unquote freebie, right? One contract that you can pay out that does not count against the cap. So my guess is moving forward, right? Jason Moss was under contract with 2023. The other assistants that are going are not going to be renewed. So if you're the riders, you could say, okay, we're going to pay Jason Moss the freebie contract in 2023. And if they went out, let's say, hired Mark Mueller or any of the other potential OC candidates to to your contract, you could then fire them after 2023 if you want to and give them a freebie contract in 2024, right? Because O'Day and Dickinson are leaving. Like, I think that's how the financials could work out for a two-year contract with Saskatchewan's new, new offensive coordinator. But you're right, Dunk. At the end of the day, but Levi Mitchell knows enough about CFL offenses to be his own offensive coordinator for all intents and purposes. What he needs is somebody to help him. What he needs is somebody to call the plays. And what he needs is for somebody to just get out of his way. Right. For some of those instances, Bolivar Mitchell is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. No, he has not played up to his usual standard this year, but he certainly wasn't bad in Calgary. And he's certainly an upgrade right over what Saskatchewan had. One thing I will say about the offensive line, I think one of my biggest pet peeves covering this game is people who see a sack and say, oh, offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. This team gave up 77 sacks this season 
that is over 20 more than the next team. And you do not have that happen unless there is failure at every level of the organization. Yes, the personnel needs to be upgraded. Um, but I will give Jeremy O'Day credit for this. He had Brendan Labatt, a future Hall of Famer, walk away from his team. Dan Clark, broken leg. Jake Bennett, the team's uh, supplemental pick out of Colorado State a few years ago, retired. Matlin Riley, first-round pick in 2020, retired. Right, He got decimated in many ways along that O-line in ways that are beyond his control. Dakota Shepley going to the NFL and not only going but sticking. Right, He has not come back in the two years that he's been down there. He's been hammered. To me, the biggest issue on that O-line is the tackle positions. The interior Canadians, I give O'Day some benefit of the doubt on the tackle positions were terrible. Natalia Rogers was a journeyman for a reason. For some reason, they made him their starting guy. He was an embarrassment, quite frankly, out there at right tackle for the first half of the season. That said, Jason Moss wears the sacks. Cody Fajardo wears the sacks. This is a franchise organizational issue. And fortunately for the Riders, I think it's going to get solved next season, almost regardless of what the personnel does, because Bo Levi Mitchell knows how to move in the pocket. He knows how to deliver the ball correctly. And him and his new OC are going to be able to scheme appropriately to not put pressure on that offensive line. I mean, Bo Levi Mitchell, one thing he will do is get the ball out faster than Kogi Fajardo did, which is going to instantly help that sack problem even if you make no changes along the offensive line. And I think your point there, Hodge, is an important one, and people don't realize just how large that that impact is. Let's take, for example, uh, BC this season, right? They were second in the league in terms of fewest sacks allowed to Calgary up until the point where Nathan Rourke got hurt. With no changes from that point on, they were second worst in the league to Saskatchewan. So all that shifted was Nathan Rourke to Vernon Adams Jr. in terms of who was at quarterback. The rest of the offensive line, for the most part, stayed entirely intact. That same group had much different results based on who was throwing the football. And I think a number of these sacks this year can be pinned directly on Kogi Fajardo, either getting happy feet too early, not going through his reads correctly, not getting the ball out on time. However, the, the flip side of that is Bo Levi Mitchell is not nearly as mobile as Kogi Fajardo is either. So you do have to fix this problem. And he's a lot older than Kogi Fajardo is and potentially a little bit more fragile as well. So you don't want him taking major shots, even if it is 20 shots less than they allowed this year. You have to hit the scouting trail hard this offseason, address that tackle position, and I would say also upgrade the interior because there were some unexpected things that happened. You know that the Matlin-Riley one, which I think was huge for them, the retirement of him. But things like Brendan Labatt, can we stop talking about Brendan Labatt? That was like three <laughs> years ago now, okay? The guy is done. It was a topic all off season. Everyone asking whether Brendan Labag is going to come back. He is not your savior. He's not ragging in on a white horse anymore. You have to address that position in the draft. They did, but later than they should, and they took their first pick on Zach Fry, who was a guy who was going back to school. Their only rookie Canadian offensive lineman was Diego Altore, the Mexican kid from UBC who they drafted in the third round, and I think, frankly, reached a little bit on. To me, that was not an impactful use of their draft picks for the offensive line when there's players like Cyril Hogan-Sano, who I thought was very good in limited action for Ottawa in his rookie year, who were sitting on the board uh, when they could have drafted in the first round. Instead, they went with a Canadian receiver, which was a position of strength. The issue to me with that offense was the tackle position. They need to upgrade there, and they needed to do it for a number of years now. And I don't think enough has been talked about, and it's sort of – uh, an if situation for their season. But if the Riders would have sat down Cody Fajardo after he suffered that shot to his knee for that stretch that we talked about on the podcast, it would have been about a month. Mason Fine would have started some games and Fajardo would have got healthy. How much different could this season have been for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Because it never really seemed like Fajardo 
got back on track after that. It did seem like he got comfortable playing with that knee brace on, but it was clear that he was hobbling around, especially at that touchdown Atlantic game, JC, that you and I were at live. And that's part of the reason I think that he was letting the ball go early and not going through his read progressions as he perhaps did fairly well, at least in 2019 when he led the league in passing. And also he wasn't as mobile as normal. So he really wasn't. Cody Fajardo, in my mind, for a large part of the season, then they should have sat him down. And that decision ultimately comes to O'Day and Dickinson. As for the future with Mitchell, I think he'll bring a much different and needed mentality to the Rough Riders organization. And I hate cliches, but he is going to have a massive chip on his shoulder, perhaps the biggest in CFL history, to show the Stampeders what they're missing. So, JC, use the phrase fragile for Bo Levi Mitchell if he does indeed go to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders I think he'll be lean mean in shape and ready to go last offseason he really dedicated himself and changed his body I don't think it's going to make him a dual threat quarterback but I think he'll come in ready to withstand what is needed to get through an entire CFL season and I just cannot wait to see the show that he puts on with the green and white it's going to be a great redemption to it Justin Dunk hates all cliches except I hate cliches, which is also a cliche. Ironically. I'll also say this. I think the most important thing, Bo Levi Mitchell, is that, that he will bring to Saskatchewan is some much-needed leadership. I think they were missing that in spades this season. They need that leadership, and I think there's a bit of a core of leaders in Saskatchewan that have been there for a while. Maybe the team needs to move on from. I'll leave it at that. Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke returned to the field during the final week of the regular season, playing the first quarter of BC's meaningless loss to Winnipeg. He completed 7 of 11 passes for 68 yards and lost a fumble. Do you feel like Rourke is back to 100% coming off injury based on what you saw? Well, he's certainly not 100%. I think Rourke would even admit to that. He's not as mobile as we're used to seeing. He's not going to be able to escape. I I think you saw that just a little bit on that lost fumble. It was the first time he was actually flushed from the pocket. I think he had a little bit of a a reaction to that 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 helped him lose control of the ball. But for the most part, if you look at that game, it looked like the Nathan Rourke we've become accustomed to seeing. The ball was coming out quick. He was on time. He was efficient. And he took some big shots in the pocket and stood in there under pressure which is exactly what you want to see for a guy coming back off a major injury, that he's not tentative to those things, that he can take the contact. To me, Nathan Rourke, even though it wasn't a light the world on on fire performance in which he threw for a bunch of touchdowns and, and proved my point that he's the best player in the CFL and should win MOP, despite the fact that he only played in nine and a quarter games, Despite all that, he checked every box that you want to see from a guy coming back to injury. He likened it to preseason action. I think that's exactly what it was. And to me, I think he is going to have a fantastic game in the West semifinal against the Calgary Stampeders because he looks like the player he was before injury. I don't know if he's quite back there. I've talked to some people around the league that have watched the coach's film of his quarter of work in Winnipeg and they feel like he's still a little timid and maybe doesn't trust that foot. Now those are outside perspectives and it's trying to get into the mind of Nathan Rourke and sort of project how he feels but that's how some people around the league look at Rourke coming back onto the field. You see I'm with you I'm all for it it would be a great story and probably the best one at this point in terms of a great cup matchup if Rourke can magically lead his team to Regina and just even be in that game coming back from this Liz Frank injury. But I think they have a tall task against this Stampeders defense and the pass rush that is by the numbers, at least the best in the CFL Calgary led the league in sacks. I believe it was over 50. Sean Lemon led that group with 14 and he's on his way in my mind to going on to being the CFL's most outstanding defensive player this year. And I think that is not an ideal situation for Rourke to line up against. I think it would be much better 
if he was going against some of these other teams that are in the playoffs. I think Winnipeg's obviously going to pose a big challenge, but I want to see Rourke back to his gunslinging ways before we say that he actually is. Yeah, I think I'm I'm even more skeptical than you guys. Nathan Rourke just kind of looked like a dude to me in person. I mean, he he's he's obviously I think BZ's best chance to win. Uh, but I, I, I didn't think he looked particularly mobile. He got flushed from the pocket by a 295-pound defensive tackle and lost the football, right? That's not something that we saw during the first half of the season when Nathan Rourke was a shoe-in MOP, right? And I, I hope, frankly, I hope that Nathan Rourke is back because you're absolutely right, Mr. Dunk. The BC Lions making the Great Cup with a Canadian quarterback is the best story that could come out of this postseason, and uh, it would be remarkable watching a Canadian quarterback get that opportunity to start in a Great Cup, especially considering that we still don't know if he's even going to be back in the CFL next year, depending on the NFL opportunities that are available to, to him, which is also, of course, impacted by the health of that foot. So I liked what I saw to an extent from Nathan Rourke. He didn't look like a total shadow of himself. I've likened the situation to the RG3 situation from 10 years ago with the Washington Commanders. He did not look like RG3 hobbling out there you know, as a player who is very obviously having no business being in the lineup. But I did not see the Nathan Rourke of old. I saw something in between. Uh, is that a player who can get a win? Yes, but you mentioned it, Dunk. Calgary's defense is playing their best football of the season right now. He's going to need that mobility in order to be successful on Sunday. I'm going to give you guys a couple counterpoints to each of yours. First of all, the biggest factor in that fumble, and, and I say this with all due respect, to Nathan Rourke is despite all his many strengths that will carry him to great things in his career, he has tiny little baby hands. Tiny, tiny, iggy, biggy baby hands. They're that doesn't matter. It does. For ball control, it matters a little bit. He has dramatically nah. smaller hands than just about any professional quarterback in any professional league. Come on, bro. We're talking I about hand I, size for real? It, it We're talking ma- about it, hand it, size? It matters in that moment. He has tiny Your boy's the MOP hands. and you care about his hand size. Or you think I don't. He should be I'm the just MLP. saying that's the moment where – You're talking about hand back. size. You brought this up. It wasn't hard I to did. Lie. Yes. I'm saying <laughs> in that moment, I don't think it's a major indication of anything other than he has slightly smaller hands and he, he lost the ball in that, in that moment. Now – Moving on to the other point. Hand First size, of all, I do think like we need to liken this to the preseason game. And you note, Hodge, he just looked like a guy to you in that game. To me, I felt the same way about Rourke's one preseason appearance for the Lions this year, where I wasn't overly blown away. He made some mistakes. He made some great throws. He was on rhythm at times. It looked very similar to my And I don't know if that game was actually televised, so I don't know if anyone else had a chance to see it. But from in stadium, those two appearances looked very similar. And I think from Nathan Rourke's perspective, he's a guy who took that one quarter of action and he's going to break it down to every single detail. He's already had his offseason trainer and and kinesiologist guru, uh, Rob Williams, come out to practice, watch him throw on the injured foot. So he can tweak the mechanics and Rourke is well aware of every tiny little mistake he made on the game. There was a couple of slightly missed throws where he was a little bit under, uh, he underthrew the ball. That's not typical of Nathan Rourke mechanically. He tends to overthrow because of what Rob Williams has, has taught him. I'm sure as he trusts that foot more and works to improve it this week, those things are going to change a lot faster than people realize and and that's going to have a dramatic effect on the way he plays as for Calgary's pass rush I actually don't think this is that bad of a matchup uh, with the Lions and, and I'll tell you why it's the fact that when they played BC without Nathan Rourke and again we've talked about the dramatic di- difference in terms of how many sacks allowed BC had without Rourke at the helm Calgary didn't get home very much and I think their strengths as a pass rushing unit, unit match up well with BC's offensive line strength. You know, uh, 
or a Malage tends to be a little bit more of a bull rusher. We can ha- BC's offensive line can handle that. They can handle Mike Rose a little bit on the interior as long as Rourke gets the ball out quickly. And Sean Lemon, for all his many benefits, tends to be a little bit opportunistic. If that ball is flying out with any sort of speed, he doesn't have the opportunities to go and get those highlight reel sacks that he might with other quarterbacks. So I actually don't think that's a terrible matchup for BC based on what we've seen from these two teams playing each other in the past, because again, BC beat them twice in the regular season once without Nathan Rourke even playing. But hand size, bro, how's Nathan Rourke going to hang on to the football and throw it around the field? If he's got small hands, this sounds like another quarterback who has small hands. I think I've touched a nerve here with Justin. No, mine are not small. (laughs) People around the league, they have the measurements. Justin Dunk (laughs) has, uh, for the record, I'm about two inches taller than Dunk. Um, actually, that's something I always get comments on for people who meet me in real life. They're like, I thought you were like 5'7". I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, a, big, I'm a big dude. <laughs> Dunk has massive, massive hands and teeny tiny baby feet. Let's get the record straight. Teeny tiny baby Let's get the record straight. Hand size doesn't matter. I agree. Hand size doesn't matter. It's how you use your hands. That's, that's what counts. I agree. Amen, brother. Put that on a on a graphic for John Hodge. <laughs> Heck, we should put it on a T-shirt and sell it at Three Down Nation. Bo Levi, <laughs> Bo Levi Mitchell played what appears to be his final game at McMahon Stadium last week as a member of the Calgary Stampeders. The Stamps gave him a chance to close out this past week's 36-10 victory over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and he received a standing ovation from the crowd. What do you make of Bo's impending departure from Cowtown? Well, it was a great way for John Hoffnagel and Dave Dickinson to allow the city of Calgary and the fans that were in attendance there to say farewell to Mitchell, even though he talked about it before the game and he didn't necessarily want to see it. I think it really hit him in the feels and he seemed to enjoy that moment, but you can kind of see him, and this is just my read on his body language, you know, embracing it. But also talking about, and he said this, obviously, that he's going to be back at McMahon Stadium with another team, right? He's like taking this all in and going to use this as juice for next season. So it's a situation that a lot of people didn't see ending this way in terms of Mitchell departing the Stampeders. I'm sure there's a lot of red and white fans that felt like Mitchell would end his career there and he would only play for the Stampeders and that would be the only team he ever played for in the CFL. But the way that it's gone was unpredictable. And that's why we love sports so much is because it's not a movie or a TV show where you have an idea of how it's going to end. It's unpredictable. And that's what's happened here with Mitchell. I do think it was very classy for Dickinson to get him in the game there. And there was some joking around about whether or not Mitchell was going to throw the ball. But he did the team thing, as he has done throughout this process of being benched and helping Mayor when he's gotten in the starting role and handed the rock off because they were running the ball so well and took in all of the salutes and the ovation and everything else from the fans and a bunch of his teammates as well. There is an immense respect for the player and competitor that Bo Levi Mitchell is within his own locker room and around the league. So that's something that really stood out to me about this moment. Yeah, to me, I, I thought it was it was fantastically done. I, I read Dave Dickinson's postgame comments, and I liked what he said. He said if he could do it again, he would have put Tommy Stevens out there to take the snap and then actually call the timeout so that Stevens could come off and kind of give fans that more preemptive look at seeing, okay, Bo Levi Mitchell now by himself is running onto the field. It would have been maybe a better moment for the TV cameras as well. That being said, I do think that these situations matter, right? You're, you're right, Dunk. So few times in reality do we get actually an opportunity for fans to say goodbye. Ren Ryan Ballantyne, our man in Calgary, wrote a great column on it as well. You know, so few, so, so infrequently do we get the opportunity to have these kind of moments of closure. And we know that Bolivar Mitchell is going to play at McMahon Stadium again. It's just not going to be in the red and white. I love this. I love Bo's uh, postgame comments. I thought this was brilliantly handled by all parties, and it's just going to add more intrigue to when Bolivar Mitchell inevitably makes his return to McMahon Stadium. I'm already looking forward to it. 
Um, I'm still skeptical as to whether he could still be Bo again. I was skeptical all off season. I was skeptical to start the season um, to the chagrin, frankly, of many people uh, around the league, maybe even in Calgary, um, who are still insistent that Bo could be Bo. Well, Jake Mayer is the starter now, and I can't wait to see the master and the young apprentice go to battle in 2023. Who I especially liked this moment for was was Bo's teammates, and you saw it throughout the week. Jamal- Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, Jameer Thurman hijacked a press conference to make sure he got his, his two cents in to, to thank Bo for his time there. And then even when the ovation was happening, you could see the teammates egging it on, giving Bo a slap on the shoulder. It was an emotional moment for them, too. And I think a, for longtime Stampeders, recognizing what he has done for that team, it was important for them. But also, I think, from an organizational standpoint, for young players in the CFL who maybe don't know, you know what your career can turn into if you're here for, for long enough and you dedicate yourself to the community like Bo Levi Mitchell has, to be able to see a moment like that and see a player of his caliber get recognized, I think that is an impactful moment for a young player to be able to be a part of that and see that sort of effort honored. So they have something to reach towards and attain. And I think throughout this whole process, you've touched on it, Hodge, Bo Levi Mitchell has been nothing short of an absolute team player. That benching in a lot of ways, like Bo Levi Mitchell may not have been the Bo Levi Mitchell of, of your, but he certainly was not a bad quarterback, especially by, the standards no. of some of the other players in the CFL. That benching, some would take issue with it in terms of the timing and the fact that he had a winning record. But he simply sucked it up, did everything he could as the backup to help the team succeed. He's still a captain. You see him handing out the game balls in the locker room and all the the Stampeders post-game clips because that's still his role and he's going to take that on. I think you you contrast even some of his public comments to other starters who have lost their jobs, someone like a, a Kogi Fajardo with the last two weeks, who I think maybe tonally has shifted into a little bit of a woe-is-me stance. But Levi Mitchell has never done that. He's been frank. He's been real about the reality that he's probably done in Calgary. But he also said, I've got to be an adult here, and I've got a team here that needs to win a Grey Cup, and I'm going to help them in every way to do that. That speaks volumes about his character and about the leadership that he's going to bring to another franchise next year. It really does, and it's likely going to be Saskatchewan, who I think 
could learn a lot from Mitchell at multiple levels of the organization. I think he can teach a masterclass in leadership just based on how he's handled this entire situation. Was he upset about being benched? Hell yeah, he's a competitor. But he realized, as JC alluded to, that he needed to suck it up and do what was best for the organization. And hey, the Stamps are still playing football and he's had a part of that. I think sometimes a lot of people, especially fans on the outside, think that if somebody's not actually on the field in a given sport, and in this instance, it's obviously football, with the preparation that goes into this sport, Mitchell has had a tangible impact on Mayor, all right? They're constantly talking. There is a trust there. There are likely no defenses that Mitchell has seen in the CFL that would confuse him or that he wouldn't understand and that he couldn't explain to Mary. He has a hand in game planning as well. Him and Dickinson still have a respect for each other, even though Dickinson had to make the difficult decision to sit Mitchell down, a guy that's a two-time Grey Cup champ, two-time MOP in favor of the young up-and-comer in Mayor. So there's lots of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that make teams legitimately competitive and also pushes them over the top to potentially be champions. And that's a position where Calgary is right now. Mitchell knows that very well. And that knowledge that he can pass down, the confidence he can give to Mayor, I think has been absolutely critical as this switch has happened in Calgary. The Hamilton Tiger Cats visit the Montreal Alouettes in the East semifinal this Sunday. The Owls are a short home favorite, although the Ticats have won five of their last six games, a bunch of those they had to win just to get in the postseason. Who are you guys taking and why? This is a very intriguing matchup. I, I think this game is a coin flip, so I, I would bet money on the Ticats because they're getting a, a little bit. I mean, it's it's one and a half points. It's not a lot, but... You know, to me, William Stanback has been disappointing since returning from injury. I understand that it's not, you know, automatic that you can just come back from from a serious injury. I think it was a broken broken ankle that he had, if memory correctly. So he, he certainly broke. It was either an ankle or a leg. Don't quote me on that. Um, it, you know, it's, it, it's not like you can come back from that instantaneously. But that said, I had a lot of people tell me that, oh, he's going to change that offense. He's going to he, he hasn't done anything so far. He has been no better than Jeshren Antwi. He's been no better than Walter, Walter Fletcher, who were fine there all season long. That said, I think Nolthorpe's defense has done a very good job of raising the physicality. I think they might be the, most, the D- CFL's most physical defense. I think that's also been reflected in the number of times they've been fined since Noel Thorpe took over as the DC there from Barry Miles following his departure. Um, but then you can't ignore the fact that the Ticats have been hot. Dane Evans has, has totally lacked consistency, but when he's at the top of his game, he has been sensational. Matthew Schultz, I think, has been very good when given the opportunity to play. And Tommy Condell has also done a really interesting job of having them even on the field at the same time, taking advantage of that opportunity. Um, you also can't ignore the fact that they're running the ball well. I think they missed Dylan Wynn in the middle of that defensive line, but the defense has played well. So I'm very intrigued for this game. If you had to hold my feet to the fire, I would take the Owls just because they are at home in this game, and I do think there's going to be a, a little hype at Percival Molson. But to me, this is about as close to a coin flip as you can get, boys, these teams were ultra tight in the regular season. I think they're going to be tight again on Sunday in Montreal. I think it may be time for us to give Trevor Harris his flowers a little bit, because I know he's a guy we talked about a bunch last year as he got sort of shipped off, shipped off and, and we talked about him when Vernon Adams Jr. was losing his job, but he hasn't really been a storyline all season long, and I think that's in many ways a credit to him, because throughout his career, Trevor Harris, like many quarterbacks before him in the CFL has gotten a little bit of a reputation for inconsistency or, you know, good Trevor, bad Trevor. Well, that hasn't really been the case this year. He hasn't been spectacular. He hasn't lit the world on fire, but he's been a very steady veteran presence among the best quarterbacks in the CFL this year. And I don't think we've given him nearly enough credit for that playoff time especially with as you mentioned Hodge Stanback not being the force many expected him to be Montreal still has weapons in that receiving core and it may be the steady hand of Trevor Harris 
that becomes that deciding factor. And that's probably why I'm going to take the Montreal Alouettes in this game. However, you look at the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and it's hard not to marvel at what they've accomplished over this last little stretch, right? This was a team that was entirely down and out, right? We didn't think they had a shot at the playoffs, even if statistically they did. They've won five out of their last six. They are hot, and they are finding ways to win. And what impressed me was last week when they had nothing to play for. They still came out, and they still, in my mind, showed some grit, showed some effort, found a way to win another game, even though it didn't matter. They didn't take their foot off the gas. So they are going to make this a very, very competitive football game, in my mind. Trevor Harris makes me want to pick the Montreal Alouettes because I believe it's not even close that he's the best quarterback in this game by a long shot and has been really consistent. That said, I'll side with the better running game that's been more consistent, especially of late when West Hills is healthy. Sean Thomas Erlington looks pretty spry for this point in the season as well. And the defense, I think the Ticats defense is underrated. You talked about Noel Thorpe and the Alouettes unit being physical. Well, the Tabbies are right there in terms of being one of the most physical, if not the most physical unit in the league. They definitely do miss Dylan Wynn, but I think they've gotten some contributions from other guys stepping up on that defensive line. So I'll take the team with the more consistent running game and what I believe to be the better defense. Are they on the road? Yes, but they know how to win in Montreal. They've done it before. And if Dane Evans just doesn't turn the football over, then I think the Tiger Cats can win in Montreal. I think I think you're right about Trevor Harris to an extent, JC. I do think that he deserves a few more props than, than we probably give him on this show. I think to me that the knock against Trevor Harris is he's just not that interesting to watch, quite honestly. He's he's become king of the checkdown. And that's not an invalid way to play the game, right? That is a way to have very consistent results. I've just looked it up. He's only thrown one pick in his last six games. Over that time, he's also thrown seven touchdown passes. So that's not all-star numbers, but that is certainly putting your team in a consistent position to win. However, one could argue that's playing not to lose more so than playing to win the knock on Dane Evans is he is the least consistent quarterback in the CFL I think by a wide margin right we often talk about Vernon Adams Jr. lacking consistency well Vernon Adams Jr. can be high or low on any day Dane Evans can be in the stratosphere or at the bottom of a valley right he had the best game of the season in my opinion when he decimated Winnipeg threw for over 300 yards five touchdowns no picks but he also has had let's let's be honest some of the worst games this season so to me those two things kind of cancel each other out because we don't know what we're going to get from dane evans uh, i think we know exactly what we're going to get from trevor harris but it remains to be seen boys it's going to be an exciting game hopefully there's a nice big turnout at percival molson i noticed that gary stern the team's uh, minority owner has invited celine dion and the prime minister and all kinds of bigwigs so who knows maybe they'll show up the Calgary Stampeders are visiting the BC Lions on Sunday in the West semifinal, which will be the first preseason game in Vancouver since 2016. JC, I think post that's postseason game since 2016. Yes, my mistake. JC, I think that's the year you were born, 2016. The Stamps <laughs> have won four of their last five with the ground game and defense clicking while Nathan Rourke is expected to start for the BC Lions. Who are you taking? to win this game and advance to the West final. JC born with those little baby hands, eh? <laughs> baby, baby, baby. I got short T-Rex arms. That's my deficit. Um, this is another extremely tough game to pick. And I think more so than past matchups with the Stampeders because of just how good that ground game has been over the last little while. And how, conversely, how weak the BC Lions run defenses. That is a massive weakness for this team defensively and a huge strength for their opponent. Now, the best run defense, as we all know, is a good offense. And so the return of Nathan Rourke and what he has shown us to be able to do 
early in games, when he was on his hot streak early in the season, could completely negate that fact. If Nathan Rourke comes out of the gate and he scores on his first three drives, Calgary's run offense becomes a much smaller factor in this game because they have to start throwing the ball. That is simply the nature of the CFL game, right? You can defend the run with good offense. However, if Nathan Rourke looks more similar to how he did in the first quarter of that Bombers game, and I still think that's a very good quarterback and a quarterback you can win most games with, if he looks like that and the Lions don't score right away and it's a little bit of a slower start to the game, you have to lead heavy in the Stampeders because they're going to be able to grind the ball, grind the ball, grind the ball down the field and score on this Lions defense who I don't think really has the personnel to stop the physicality that they're going to bring to the table. So I'm going to bet on the Lions because I'm a believer in what Nathan Rourke can do. However, if it comes, if you if you want to uh, lay a mid-game bet and the Lions are not leading at the end of the first quarter, put all your money on the stamps. I don't understand, JC. You're a believer in Nathan Rourke, but you don't like his hand size. How is he going to score three straight touchdowns to start the game if he's got small hands? He can, he can do many, many things with the small hands. Many, many things. It does not change the fact that they're small. <laughs> small hands are not. A lot of eyeballs are going to be on Nathan Rourke. But we haven't even said the name of the league's leading rusher, by the way, yet when talking about this matchup. Kadeem Carey had a spectacular season in Dedrick Mills is right there in terms of his own running style and being a very difficult back to bring to the ground. So even if Nathan Rourke does go out and lead a touchdown drive on the first possession of the game for the Lions, or if they get the ball first and put BC in front, I think Calgary is going to stick consistently with that run game. Even if they get down a couple scores, just because it's so powerful and strong, they can grind down their opponents, and it's been so successful for them. The one aspect that I don't think has been talked about enough in regards to this matchup is Malik Henry coming back. He is Calgary's most explosive playmaker, especially at receiver. And he's got a rapport and has developed a trust with Jake Mayer. I think that could be a real game-breaking possibility in terms of that connection when you consider how well Calgary runs the rock. And then if they go play action, Henry is an absolute burner and can get over the top and flip the entire momentum of this game if BC happens to have it at some point. I really like Calgary, the way that that ground game is going, especially with the big fellas up front on the offensive line that I don't think necessarily get talked about enough. And what about the fact, fellas, that Peyton Logan could potentially be into this game? They go three running backs with their three unique styles and the explosiveness that we've seen from Logan, obviously in the return game, but even as a runner as well. I think that could be very dynamic and difficult, as JC alluded to, for the Lions to stop because they have not been good against the run consistency consistently all season long. You know, I was I was going to bang the table for BC a little bit, but you're making some very good points, Mr. Dunk. I think that Calgary's receiving core coming into the season, one of the most overrated position groups in the league. But Malik Henry certainly saved that group and gave them the game breaker that they really needed. I think their offensive line also came into the season a little bit underrated. They certainly played better than I thought they would. And if it was my words that motivated them to play better, then you're welcome, Stampeders <laughs> fans. Frankly, you're welcome. Uh, defensively, to me, what separates this game a little bit is the fact that it's going to be in a dome. Flipping through Twitter this morning, I noticed that it is snowing in Calgary. I'm also upset that that weather is going to be coming east to Winnipeg very soon, which is too bad. It was like 15 degrees yesterday, which is not what we're accustomed to in Winnipeg in the month of November. I, I got out my shorts. It was lovely. It wasn't lovely for the people I had to look at my legs, but it was lovely for me getting to walk around Winnipeg and, and not freeze my butt off this time of year. That being said... I think that does change things that this game is being played in a dome. If this was at McMahon Stadium, not that there's a huge home field advantage there in terms of crowd noise, but if they were playing in those conditions, I would be taking the stamps by double-digit points. The fact that this game is in BC, I really would with that running game, 
the fact that this game is in BC changes that for me. This is going to be, uh, or at least at least being in that dome is going to make for more of a possibility of a shootout type of game. And in a shootout type of game, I'm taking Nathan Rourke in that offense with all those weapons. Lucky Whitehead, Brian Burnham's coming back. Keon Hatcher, I think, is criminally underrated. Dominic Rimes, I think, is criminally underrated out west. He's got the best weapons in the league. And when he got injured, we know that Nathan Rourke was the best quarterback in the league at that point. Obviously, we don't yet know exactly how healthy he is, how he'll look. But I, I think this game is another toss-up. If I had to pick somebody, I'd pick the BC Lions. If only because you're getting one and a half points at home. Again, another very tight line. And I think those lines are both very appropriate for the East and West semis. Because, of course, these teams are superly, uh, or are super closely matched. I really do. Yeah, two final points. I think that Lions receiving court matches up very well against the Stampeders secondary, which has gotten healthier as of late, but I still don't think is necessarily a team-wide strength. And that dome will be closed for this game. It's been open just about all season. They will be closing it for the playoffs for obvious reasons. It's now time for Hodges' heritage moment. On this day in 2012, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defeated the Montreal Alouettes 19-10 in the final CFL game ever played at Canada Stadium. Originally dubbed Winnipeg Stadium, the building had served as the home of the Blue Bombers since 1953, hosting three Grey Cups in 91, 98, and 06. The venue was initially set to close following the 2011 season, but remained open for 2012 due to delays in the construction of its replacement, IG Field. The city of Winnipeg began demolition of the venue in April 2013 and redeveloped most of the land into retail space. Boys, I don't imagine either of you were ever at Old Canadian Stadium, but I remember hating that building. The seats were miserable. The amenities were terrible. There, there often wasn't even hot water in the bathrooms, which was wild because it'd be minus 20. You go to wash your hands and the water would be freezing cold. I remember thinking, this building is the worst. I'm never going to miss it. And... I hate to admit it, but I'm wrong. IG Field is incredible. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But I miss IG Field. Every time I'm in that port, that into town in St. James, driving past it, I live about an eight-minute drive from there now. I do. I genuinely miss, miss Canada Stadium, which I never would have believed if you told me that 10 years ago. I really wouldn't have. It's the memories tugging at your heartstrings, Hodge. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's go to the three-minute drill. Hodge, you reported the Saskatchewan Rough Riders free agent list. Who is the most important player for the Riders to re-sign? There's a lot of big names on the list. Uh, Darnell Sankey, I think, might be the number one guy, but an underrated pick, I'll say. Anthony Lanier, the second defensive tackle. That defense was not the same after Lanier got hurt. The Edmonton Elks signed rookie running back Kevin Brown to a contract extension through 2024. Is that a prudent move? I'm going to reserve judgment on this because Kevin Brown is a fantastic player who you want to have on your roster. However, I think you all know how I feel about paying running backs, and I've not seen the financial numbers here. So until I know how much they're paying him for this extension, I cannot make an accurate judgment. A new study indicated that Touchdown Atlantic generated $12.7 million of economic impact in Nova Scotia. Should that help the CFL potentially get an expansion team on the East Coast? Unless it's somehow going to help them get a stadium out there, then no, unless Randy Ambrosi is all right with playing in the parking lot of Mick Mac Mall, as told to him by Halifax Mayor Mike Savage. Kareem Carey won the rushing title this year in the CFL, while Dalton Schoen became the first rookie to win the receiving title since Curtis Marsh did it with Saskatchewan in the year 2000. Way back to play that. Which one is more significant? I think you have to give it to Schoen because he is the rookie and literally nobody, well, nobody sober would have picked Schoen to win the receiving title before the season. But you got to also give props to Kareem Carey. You're right, Dunkster. He had a fantastic year. Canadian offensive lineman Dakota Shepley and former CFL quarterback Chris Streveler were upgraded to their team's active rosters in the NFL this past week. Which player could have a bigger impact with their team? Uh, this is a tough one because I don't think either one is going to have a huge impact. I'll go with Streveler because he's gonna, if he gets on the field, there's some interesting things you can do with packages to challenge a defense if you want with that mobile quarterback that he is. 
CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi said Genius Sports has outperformed their first year of the partnership. Do you believe that, Hodge? I, I, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm looking forward to asking Mr. Ambrosi about that at his address at Grey Cup. Canadian running back Chuba Hubbard educated the American media about ketchup chips in the Carolina Panthers locker room. Dunkster, do you like ketchup chips? I'm not really a chips guy, but I like Hubbard giving the people from the United States of America a little bit of lesson about some Canadian. Zach Kolaris, not Nathan Rourke, was named the West Division's nominee for Most Outstanding Player. JC, you were absent from the pod last week when we got after you a little bit on this topic. So how does that make you feel? Does make me feel good? Now, I don't think it's the most egregious of the award nominations. And Zach Kolaris has had a fantastic season. I don't want really to discount that in any way. However, Most Outstanding Player, Outstanding means the accomplishment is absurd. It's it's above anything anyone could have imagined. The first nine games of Nathan Rourke's season absolutely fit that more than Zach Kolaris' entire 2022 season. But you don't think his baby hands are outstanding, so how can he be the most outstanding player? <laughs> <laughs> also, last, last I checked, Zach Kolaris was the one who threw for 37 touchdowns. Nathan Rourke Two for 25. So uh, Yeah, but okay, okay. <laughs> Combined total touchdowns, rushing and passing. In nine and one quarter games, Nathan Rourke had 32. 32 combined touchdowns. Zach Kolaris had 37. That's Over. still, still for five the whole less. year. It's still five it less. is. In, in like nine less games. Just think on. of how many more touchdowns Nathan Rourke would have had if he had bigger hands. <laughs> The man would have had a hundred more than Zach Kolaris. I don't Absolutely. know how this hands thing became a thing. Okay, we're moving on. Chase Claypool. You brought it up. Remember that. <laughs> you did. I brought this upon myself. Like I yes. didn't I got to hand it to you. You did bring it up. <laughs> that was a deep inhale. That's unbelievable. What line of the year from Hodge? Timing is everything. Chase Claypool became the first Canadian board player to throw a touchdown pass in an NFL regular season game since 2003 this past week before being traded from Pittsburgh to Chicago. Doug, is he a fit with the Bears? The Bears must think his hands are at least big enough to catch the football <laughs> from Justin Fields. So, yes, I do think he is a fit with the Bears in that pathetic passing offense. This is unbelievable. Charleston Hughes thinks he's still one of the best defensive ends in the CFL, despite being a healthy scratch at times this past season. Is that true, though? No. I, I think Charleston Hughes is a Hall of Fame pass rusher. He's been incredible for the last 14 years of the CFL. He deserves the utmost respect. But part of that is telling somebody the truth. You're going to be 39 soon, Charleston. You're not the same player you were at 28. Sarah McLaughlin is singing O Canada ahead of the West semifinal in BC on Sunday. JC, do you think the size of her hands will affect her ability <laughs> to sing the national anthem? I don't know. Maybe she fumbles the microphone. I, I love Sarah McLaughlin, so I'm, I'm excited to see her perform O Canada. Now, what I think should happen is afterwards the CFL should ask her to do one of those commercials, but for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders of her offensive linemen. In the arms of the angel. So, everyone keep going a little. Maybe they can actually buy a left tackle. Former CFL quarterback and assistant coach Marcus Brady was fired as the offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts this week. Did that surprise you? It did not surprise me, sadly to say. I know a lot of people from CFL circles would want to see him there longer, but they brought in multiple veteran Quarterbacks Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, and the latest in Matt Ryan. It just hasn't worked for whatever reason. Then Jonathan Taylor has done a nosedive in terms of his production. So the Colts need to get it figured out on offense. I would imagine Brady can land on his feet, be it somewhere else in the NFL, potentially the NCAA, or you never know. Maybe he'll end up back in the CFL. The Riders have an opening for an offensive coordinator right here. The Okanagan Sun and Regina Thunder are set to meet in the Canadian Bowl on November 12th, which is the title game for the Canadian Junior Football League. Who do you think will win? 
I'm taking the Regina Thunder. That team is ridiculous. And the game, of course, is being played at Mosaic Stadium in Regina. Yes, it's CJFL, not CFL. But they're still going to get a good turnout. Those CJFL fans are super diehard. Last one, the CFL is yet to announce a halftime act for the Grey Cup. But our contributor, Ryan Ballantyne, believes later is better when it comes to an announcement. Do you agree, Mr. Abbott? I don't because I think it's a matter of perception. It simply looks bad and unprofessional as a pro football league to not have your championship game halftime act announced at this point. And I wish, I wish I could say I have insider info on this because my sister works on the production for the Grey Cup halftime show. But I asked her, do you have an act? And she said, we can neither confirm nor deny. Well, if the CFL is still looking for an act, we'll get JC out there on a stage with a measuring tape, <laughs> and fans can come get their hands measured. While he sings, that'll be a great entertainment. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes, while he sings, Sarah McLaughlin, I would pay good money to watch that halftime show. All right, boys. What an episode. That was an all-time lion hodge. we got to keep this rolling next week, so be sure to tune in to the Three Down Nation podcast.